a man opened up a new business office and uh, his best friend uh, went to the floral shop and arranged to have a, a floral arrangement sent to him. And uh, his friend came and came to his friend's place of business uh, later on in the week, you know, just to say hi and congratulate him again on his new business location. And, um, but he found that he was greatly pained because he went in and he saw the flower arrangement and there was a note attached to it that said, rest in peace. So a little problem here. Well, he was kind of angry about it, so he calls, he calls the florist and reads in the riot act and the, uh, the florist replied to him after getting chewed out. He said, said, you know, it could be a whole lot worse. Somebody in this city has an arrangement sitting by their headstone with a note that reads, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> well, we all make mistakes. And uh, sometimes the, the mistakes that we make are humorous, but uh, sometimes they can cause us great pain. And I remember in my own life that for the first 20 years as I lived my Christian life, uh, I had a mistaken understanding of what the Christian life was really all about. And as a result, I ended up living a Christian life that was a joyless struggle to obey God with the attitude of, well, if I obey God good enough, then He's going to bless me. And I found that, well... Sometimes I got blessed, and other times I got trials. Ever get any of those? Yeah, you get some of those too. But I remember thinking, you know, people talk about the joyous, abundant Christian life, but boy, I sure don't experience it. And I'm sure that some of you here today have had a similar experience, and that your Christian life is kind of like shredded wheat, dry but very nourishing. But let me assure you that the joy-filled, overflowing Christian life, it is available, and it is there. And the title of the message this morning is that Jesus' plan is different and better. Because his plan is different, but it is better. And you see, the path to this overflowing Christian life involves identifying the misunderstandings that we have as in the Christian life and beginning to live it the way that Jesus said to live it. And this morning, we're going to look at the interaction between Peter and Jesus, along with the rest of the disciples standing there looking on. And you see, Peter had a misunderstanding of what the Christian life was all about. And this showed, and Jesus showed him that he had a different plan that was indeed better. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 and read along with me. I'll be reading in verses 21 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible, you'll find that right in the seat pocket in front of you there, you'll be able to find a Bible to read along. So turn with me to Matthew 16, verses, verse 21. And from that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
You're, you are a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now the first thing that we want to look at closer this morning is Peter's wrong Messiah misunderstanding in verses 21 through 22. And to understand what was really going on here, you actually have to go back to verses 13 through 16 in this same chapter 16. And Matthew reports the interaction between Jesus and his disciples. He says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, Well, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you see, for the first time in all of this gospel, you see that the disciples finally understand who Jesus really is. He is the Messiah. And now they all agree on that fact. But interestingly, look at verse 21. It says, and from that time, when they finally understood who he was, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. You see, from that time that the disciples really grasped that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to repeatedly let them know that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And the real question is, is why did he keep hammering that into their heads? Because the Gospel of Matthew records six different occasions when Jesus says the same thing to the disciples. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. And the reason is, is that the disciples... They didn't understand what Jesus, the Messiah, really had to do. As many of you know, the Old Testament paints two different pictures of the Messiah. And the first picture of the Messiah is the Messiah as the reigning king that would kick out and subdue all of Israel's enemies and bring peace to the land of Israel. And the prophet Zechariah tells about this Messiah in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 10, 9 and 10. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming! He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the north. This is the reigning king, Messiah. But there's a second picture of the Messiah in the the Gospels, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, and that is the Messiah as the suffering servant who would redeem Israel and all of mankind from sin. 
And that picture is in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. And Isaiah says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. And like most of the Jews of the day, and all of his people, all the rulers of the Jews, Peter's thoughts were literally riveted on that reigning King Messiah. You see, he was fixated on the wrong Messiah. And he totally ignored the suffering servant Messiah that Isaiah predicted would also become and foretold of. And this is why Jesus had to go on such an aggressive re-education campaign with the disciples, because they were fixed not on the suffering servant, who Jesus was, but on the reigning king. And to make matters worse, Luke clues us in on something else the disciples were thinking about after they finally understood that Jesus was the Messiah. Luke tells us that an argument broke out among the disciples as to, as to which one of them might be the greatest. So you see, they were busy talking about which one of them was going to be the greatest, and by implication, which one of them was going to have the best place in the kingdom when Jesus came to Jerusalem as the reigning king. So I think Peter was thinking something like this. He was thinking like, yeah, Jesus, this is really cool. You're the Messiah. We're going to Jerusalem. That's where we're headed. We're going to kick these Romans out, and you're going to be king. And yeah, since I'm the main man, well, that means that maybe I'll be chief of staff. No, better yet, vice Messiah. Yeah! Bring it on, Jesus! Let's go! And with all this in mind, you can begin to understand Peter's response to Jesus in verse 22. You see, Jesus totally burst Peter's bubble. And Jesus says to the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And Peter rebukes, rebukes Jesus. He says, you, you can't do this, Jesus. This just can't happen to you. This is not part of my, I mean, the plan. And then Jesus corrects Peter's misunderstanding. And the first thing that Jesus does is he describes the source of Peter's plan in verse 23. And the source was Satan himself. Get behind me, Satan! You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. And Peter must have said, Satan? Satan? I don't see him. Where is he? But now Jesus was not accusing Peter of being Satan. No, he wasn't. But Jesus did hear the thoughts of Satan come out of Peter's mouth. And as a believer, we can never be possessed by the devil, but we certainly at times can speak what he has to say if we're not careful. You see, Jesus had heard this thought before. When he was being tempted by Satan in the desert, Satan spoke very similar words to him. 
he said, again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. In both of these situations, the devil was tempting Jesus to obtain the power and the glory due to him as the reigning Messiah, but without having to suffer as the suffering servant. And believe me, this was a formidable temptation for Jesus because he fully knew, heading to Jerusalem, all the agony and the horror that was awaiting him when he arrived there as he bore the sins of the world on his shoulders. And as a side note, there are two important things that I learned from this interaction between Jesus and Peter. And the, the first one is knowing how mightily God used Peter later on in his life. Uh, it's very <laughs> encouraging to me. You see, you've got one minute Peter being the spiritual giant saying, Yes, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And then the next minute, you have him buking the, the Messiah himself with the words of the devil. Well, if God can use Peter, then he can certainly, he can use a boneheaded, stubborn, self-willed pastor named Pastor Lou. And he can certainly do the same thing in your lives. And secondly, Oh, how Jesus loves us. He really does. Stop and think about it for a minute. He had multiple opportunities to avoid the hideous, horrible, agonizing death that awaited him in Jerusalem. And every time he said, no, I won't do that. And supreme love for the Father and supreme love for us is what motivated him to do that. And my prayer is that this morning that the vastness of his love would grab a hold of your heart because it's very evident in this passage. So we've looked at how Jesus corrects Peter's misunderstanding about the Messiah by letting Peter know in no uncertain terms where that misunderstanding came from. Now let's look at how Jesus describes his plan, his plan for the Christian life in verse 24. After rebuking Peter, he turns to all the disciples and he tells them, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, in this statement, Jesus outlines his three-step process of how the Christian life should be lived. And let's take a minute now and look at each one of the three steps. Step one in Jesus', pro in Jesus process is to deny yourself. Now, Jesus chose a very interesting word here. Uh, he chose a word which means to deny or say no to something, okay? But then he took that word and he put a prefix on the front of it that makes that word very, very emphatic and very strong. And the word that Jesus uses here, it means to completely and utterly reject something, even with an attitude of disdain for it. 
And in a word, here is what Jesus said we need to say to ourselves and our own fleshly desires. No! That's what he was saying. That's what we need to say to those things. And you see, this was the opposite of what Peter was saying. You see, Peter was watching out for the old number one. And Peter saw that he would come out the loser if Jesus headed to, the, headed to Jerusalem. And so he pushed his agenda and Satan's agenda first. And in reality, most Christians in the world don't say no to themselves. In a recent survey taken amongst born-again Christians, George Barna concluded this, that more often than not, the typical born-again Christian's goal is to feel happy, comfortable, and secure. That's what it is. So question, what is it that we need to say no to? And what do you guys think are some of the things that we need to say no to? What are they? The flesh, which is what? It's the, it's the remainder of, of what's left over. You know, the, the old habits and desires and those things. The flesh. What else? The world. the world. Yes, we need to say no to the world. Other things. What's that? We definitely need to say no to what he tells us to do. Other things? Pride. pride. Wow. Now, none of us here suffer with pride, right? No, okay. Any other things you can think of we need to say no to? What's that? Greed. Greed. Yes. Yes. And especially because I'll tell you, we can be tempted with money. We really can. Other things? Jealousy. Ooh. And that has that whole idea of relationships behind it. Relationships we have to be really careful with. Wanting things my way. Well, none of you have that problem, do you? Well, I certainly don't. Don't strike me dead, Lord. <laughs> I think when we deny ourselves and say no to the desires of our old life apart from Christ, that that's what it means. We just say no. And you've mentioned a number of the things that uh, we need to say no to. You see, it means saying no to the pursuit of money and material objects. It means saying no to the pursuit of comfort above all else. It means saying no to the pursuit of career above all else. It means saying no to relationships, looking to relationships to fulfill us. It means saying no to the pursuit of sensual gratification. You see, Jesus calls us to say no to anything that threatens to dethrone the Lord from being king in our lives. Does that mean we need to sell everything and move to a monastery? No, it doesn't. It simply means that we need to let go and let the Lord be king in every single area of our lives. Hard stuff? It is, and yet it's not that hard if we really know how deeply that the king that we're surrendering to really loves us. And we'll talk some more about that later. So the first step in the process is to say no to self. 
to the old man. Now let's look at the second step. And the second step in Jesus' plan is to take up your cross. Now obviously this is a metaphor. What a comical sight that would be if we all walked around with crosses on our shoulder all day long. That would be kind of comical looking, wouldn't it? But there are a couple of different interpretations of what this metaphor means. And the first interpretation is that taking up our cross means that we prepare ourselves to suffer. And it's very clear from what Jesus said that we should expect suffering in our lives. He said, he said remember the word which I have said to you. A slave is not greater than their master, and if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So we're going to suffer in this life if we choose to follow Jesus. Now the second interpretation is the one that I would tend to lean more toward, and that is is that taking up your cross is a further elaboration of what it means to deny yourself. And interestingly, in Luke's account of this same passage, the phrase reads that we need to take up our cross daily, every single day. Now, in Roman times, it was customary for a man that was condemned to die and to be executed on the cross, that he would carry his own cross to the place of execution. And Jesus did the very same thing, as you may remember. But Jesus says that each one of us must carry our own cross. It's our own cross. So what is going to die on our own cross? Us. It's us. We're not carrying Jesus' cross. We're carrying our own cross. And in particular, it's the old fleshly desires in habits that we have said no to but are still kind of hanging around. They are the things that are going to be put to death daily. So what does taking up our cross mean? It means that each and every day we must make a conscious decision to let the Lord put to death more and more of the old desires and the old habits. That's what it is. Each and every day we must put Him on the throne of our lives so that He can be King and allow Him unhindered access to every area of our lives so that He can conform us into what we already are. Positionally, we are perfect, but He wants to bring our lives into conformance with our position. And it's the Lord who will crucify the remains of that flesh. Not you. Not you. Can you crucify yourself? No, you can't. You want me to show you why? Because you can pound the nail in your foot, dunk, 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 and you can pound the nail in your hand, dunk, 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 dunk. You can't pound in this one. It doesn't work. Self-crucifixion does not work. And in a similar fashion... Only the Lord can crucify those old desires and those old habits that are laying around by the Holy Spirit. He is the one that will do that. As we yield to Him every day and allow Him to do that in our lives. 
So the first step in the process is to say no to ourselves. The second is to daily allow the Lord to crucify more and more of the old self that's still hanging around. Now let's look at the third step in Jesus' plan, which is to follow me. To follow me. And that word that Jesus uses for follow, it literally means to be on the same road. On the same road. And it means to accompany Jesus. It means, just like the disciples did, to go with him every day where he went. And Jesus, interestingly, used a different verb tense for this particular word than he did the other two things. In this one, he says, you must continue to follow me. Each and every day, you must continually follow me. It's not just a one-time event. It's an ongoing thing. And at my house, we have a beautiful illustration of what this word means. And I must, and I'm very happy to introduce you to Sydney. This is Sydney. Now, Sydney is our pet house bunny. And he's actually my daughter's, but she graciously shares Sydney with us. And uh, Sydney has the free run of the house. But interestingly, he follows us all day long. And if my wife goes into the, the kitchen to make dinner, Sydney hops in. And he sits there, and he just enjoys watching her make dinner. And if I go out and I sit down on the couch, he hops over and he sits at my feet and lays down. He just loves to be with us. And he follows you around all day, all day long. And in a similar manner, Jesus asks us to follow him. See, it's all about a relationship and a desire to be with him. It means that we walk with Him. It means that we spend time with Him. It means that we have an ongoing dialogue with Him throughout the day. It means that we go wherever He goes. It means that we obey Him when He speaks to us and tells us what He would desire for us to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's Jesus' plan. Now let's look at where Jesus describes the outcome of his plan versus Peter's plan. Jesus says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, Peter's plan was all about self. It was all about his plan. It was all about maneuvering things the way he wanted and Jesus describes this type of approach as someone who lives their life who wishes to save their life. That's how he describes that. And look at what Jesus says is the outcome of trying to save your life. You will lose it. And that word in the Greek means to utterly destroy. Utterly destroy. And the verb tense also indicates that it's a done deal. It will happen. In other words, Jesus is saying that if you spend your entire life trying to hang on to your way, you will surely utterly destroy your life. And in the context, especially because of verse 26, I believe that Jesus is saying that if you live your whole life for yourself, 
then eternal condemnation and separation waits for you. You see, if you want no part of Jesus, then He will honor your request and give you exactly what you want. And some of you here today may have lived your entire life for yourself. You see, living life your way is the essence of what the Bible calls sin. And the Bible also clearly lays out the consequences of sin, and that is death, an eternal spiritual separation from God and everything that is good. But the good news is that you can put your faith in Jesus this morning and begin living for Him instead of for yourself. You see, He died on a cross 2,000 years ago to pay the death penalty that you and I both deserve to pay. And the Bible promises that if you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you will spend the rest of eternity with Him. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, then this morning, why don't you make the day, today the day that you do put your faith in Christ? And in the quiet of your own heart, simply say to the Lord, Lord, I've been going my own way. Please save me. I put my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. Do that today if you have never done that before. And if you pray a prayer something like that, then please let me know after the service. I'll be in the back and let me know. Because you've begun a whole new life. And according to the Scriptures, you're a brand new creature. And I would love nothing more than to help you grow in that new and beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ. Now getting back to verse 25, um, I think this verse also applies to our life in the here and now. Because if you spend your life seeking to have it your way, refusing to let Jesus be king of your life, you will destroy this life also. See, we weren't made to live independently from God. He didn't make us that way. And in contrast, Jesus describes the outcome of His plan. You see, when you say no to self, when you allow Jesus to put to death every day the old, the old man, when you have a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with Jesus, then you will find life. You see, you will lose the life that you had planned, but you'll find the life that your loving Savior planned for you. And in the process, you will be gloriously changed into His very likeness. And as a result, you will progressively find love and joy and peace. The very things that the world longs after and can't find. They are there in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how much better Jesus' plan is than our own. It's different, but it's better. So how should we apply what we've discussed this morning? I would like to suggest four things. First, understand that the first two steps in Jesus' plan are critical. And by this, I mean that... Not going, 
You will not go far down the road of following Jesus until you have denied yourself and taken up your cross. As we discussed this morning, this is primarily an attitude of the heart. But these two steps are not necessarily that easy. It's been my own experience, and I've seen it in the lives of other people's lives many times, that the Lord persistently urges people to let go. Quit hanging on to that stuff. Let me be king in your life. And frequently, as it was in my own life, that like little security blankets, we cling on to one or two little things and we just won't let them go. We won't let them go. And sometimes these are possessions and sometimes they're addictions. Sometimes they're relationships. It's a little different for every single person. But in His wonderful love and His grace and His mercy, the Lord will rip these things out of our hands and leave us shaken and bloody and battered, but nonetheless, we're free. We're free. And then and only then can we really take the third step to follow Jesus Christ. And this is God's mercy and His love that causes Him to do that. He knows that till we have completely surrendered, we can no, go no further in the relationship with Him. And He knows that we cannot proceed into a life that overflows with love, joy, and peace without the surrender. It's critical. It's critical. Make today the day that you yield your life fully to Him if you have not already. Make today the day. And second, you need to consider the benefits of Jesus' plan also. You see, when we think of denying ourselves and taking up our cross, we kind of muster up this image of, okay, here we go. I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to muster up my strength and I'm just going to do it. We kind of muster up that kind of an image. But with that in mind, Dallas Willard makes this comment. He says, the self-denial of Matthew 16.24 is always the surrender of a lesser dying self for a greater eternal one. The person God intended in creating you. Jesus does not deny us personal fulfillment but shows us the only true way to it. In Him we find our life. You see, in denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Christ, you will find a completely superior quality of life. And as you progress in following Christ, you will find that the desire to return to all those old things It'll vanish. It'll vanish. You see, the new life is that good. It's that good. You won't ever want to go back to it again. The cost of Jesus' plan looks high, but the benefits are far greater. And third, you need to understand God's love for you. For many people, the reason why they don't deny themselves and take up their cross is because deep down inside, they really don't trust God. And they're fearful 
of what will happen if they surrender and let Jesus be Lord of every area of their lives. Deep down inside, they're afraid that if they surrender their lives completely to the Lord, that the Lord is going to send them to uh, witness to penguins in Antarctica or something like that. Okay? And I found this actually to be a stumbling block in my own life. And when I finally came to the realization of how deeply and how vast God's love was for me, denying myself and taking up my cross became easy. It was easy. It was completely safe to let go of the control of my life to the God that loved me as dearly as He did. As dearly as He did. And so how do you arrive at that experience of how vast God's love is for you? Pastor Matt talked about it last week. You ask God for what the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. He prayed for them, he said, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of his love. And to know or experience the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You see, pray this prayer for yourself. God will answer it. Guaranteed, he will answer this prayer. And then as you read the Bible each day, ask the Lord to reveal to you how vast his love is for you. And he will do that. And he will do that. And lastly, follow Christ with other followers. All of us need encouragement in the fellowship of others who are committed to denying themselves and following Christ. And to that end, Pastor Matt and I are in the process of putting together a curriculum that follows Jesus' three-step plan that we've talked about this morning. And we are committed to working with anyone who desires to really get serious about living the way that Jesus commanded us to. And if this is the longing for, of your heart, get in contact with me or Pastor Matt by note or you know, by phone or wherever, and we'll discuss getting together with other folks who long to follow Christ in that same way. In closing, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon made this relevant comment about the life that Jesus calls us to. He said, there are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. Today, will you deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that for so clearly telling us what it takes to follow You. And praise You, Lord, that in following You, we are not yielding ourselves to a God who is not only infinitely powerful, but also dearly loves us. Lord, motivate us to let go of our self-will and let You be King to daily allow you to put to death what remains of our flesh and to daily remain in loving communion with you. We ask you to do this, Lord, for your glory, that we would be living copies of your beautiful Son, Jesus, for all the world to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close up.